It's a fresh start and it feels good. Anthony and Pinky for breakfast. It's Triple M Breakfast. Chanel Contos, hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being a part of it. Thank you so much for having me on. Now, I know you fly back and forth between London and Sydney, I think. You live in London, is that right? Yeah. Uh, we were talking the other day because Pinky had a flight from Melbourne back up here to Rocky and she fell asleep and started snoring. We think. Mm, we're pretty <laughs> We're pretty confident, yeah. And someone um, reclined her chair for her, a complete stranger, to kind of move her body around and see if that stops it. <laughs> and then, like, do you reckon you'd do that? <laughs> I don't think I would have the guts to if God I would want to. <laughs> if you were sitting next to me on a plane for 24 hours, I think I would probably accidentally like um, elbow you or something. Just yeah. Jump yeah. yeah, that's totally fair. I get that. I think that's actually extremely polite of them, giving you a bit more space. Well, and saying that the flight was only three hours, we're not even talking 24. So, <laughs> yeah, so what I just Yeah, maybe, maybe I would have just copped it for three hours. <laughs> um, the other thing, I. Um, I saw an interview once where someone was saying how Tom Cruise always comes with a fact about a guest or something. So I thought I'd, not the biggest Tom Cruise fan, but I like that. So I started like digging on Chanel's Instagram pinky to see what I could find. Right. And is it your birthday today? It is my birthday today. <gasps> Happy birthday. That's a good find, Anthony. <laughs> ah, what a good That's little journo. <laughs> what have you got planned? Um, a radio interview with Triple M, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Best birthday ever. No better way to spend it. I've listened to, I think we both, Pinky and I both listened to a lot of uh, podcasts and interviews that you've done. Um, and so I know you probably have to give the backstory to yourself a fair bit. Would you like to do the honours? Yeah. So basically in February, 2021, I posted on Instagram asking, have you or has anyone close to you ever been sexually assaulted by someone who went to an all boys school in Sydney? Um, and the intended audience for that was literally just my Instagram followers at the time who were just my friends or people I grew up with or, you know, um, people I knew basically. I had no sort of platform and it just got so many responses that it kind of started going viral across Australia. And so then I launched a Google, um, doc and then I launched a Google forms and so many people were signing this petition for mandated consent education in Australia that the Google Forms was like fully freaking out and like breaking down. And then eventually um, one of my friends was like, I'm just going to build your website. And he spent the whole weekend doing it. And then the Monday morning teacher's consent was launched. And so far, oh, in the time of the campaign, we got um, almost 50,000 signatures and almost 7,000 testimonies of sexual assault that occurred in school kind of peer on peer violence. And that resulted in the Australian government mandating consent education in all schools from the start of 2023? Yeah. So then following that kind of like outpouring of responses and lots of media attention, I guess. And um, I think a lot of people in the current climate felt comfortable coming forward and telling their, sharing their stories or experiences, not just in media, but also I think to friends and family and teachers and old principals or all these different things just kind of blowing the lid off that shame and having those conversations um and then working really closely with the government um for a year working with different politicians having people inside trying to make it so that it wasn't a political issue it was a human rights issue ensuring that it didn't kind of turn into one of those like culture wars things between the left and the right but just understanding that this is something that all children deserve 
And yeah, a year of campaigning and I presented at a meeting of all of the ministers of education around Australia and they unanimously agreed to mandate consent education. It was pretty cool. Yeah, that's really impressive. And you said on the Imperfects podcast that you had a theory that most sexual violence could be prevented with adequate consent education. Yeah, so I think especially when we're talking about this kind of teen-on-teen perpetrated type of sexual assault, you know, we've either all been there or we've, um, we're still, you know, in the thick of it where when we're younger, we're going to parties, there's, you know, low parental supervision, there's often like lots of alcohol or even just that aside, you're at an age where you're experimenting with your sexuality and learning things about your body and other people's bodies. And you're trying to navigate sex with like literally no freaking idea. And, um, and things happen in those moments that I think often are sexual assaults for the victim, but unknowingly to the perpetrator. And I guess my theory is if we provide adequate consent education and, you know, center the pleasure of everyone and kind of get rid of these old school narratives that we should just be avoiding, avoiding these acts and all those things, then maybe we could actually just create an environment where healthy intimacy was the norm for young people if they were properly equipped with how to actually engage in sex and weren't just watching pornography and learning it from there. Mm. Yeah. We reached out to the Queensland Department of Education yesterday just to ask how they were implementing a consent education in schools and their answer was pretty vague. It felt like they were saying each school can, you know, determine how they want to implement it and then, then the department was like, well, that's it, uh, you know, that's the extent of our interest. So is it like right that school A could be doing something such as, and I'll let Pinky speak to this in a moment, but a program called Love Bites, which is up here in central Queensland, but then school B could just get the school pastor to like do the same old sex ed program, just renamed. But that ticks the quota. Yeah, no, it is true. And it is definitely a problem. And I mean, in order to tick the quota of the consent education curriculum, they do have to actually speak about consent. For some teachers, you know, unfortunately, it might actually simply just be a line, which would be really devastating, obviously. And then other schools um, would feel, you know, either confident or um, maybe they're something they're already doing before, but to do a more holistic program like Love Bites or something similar. Um, there is a federal government reference panel that I sit on that is trying to work out how to best implement consent education and respectful relationships education across schools um but it's yeah implementation is a massive challenge i think we also need teacher training um so that it's not something that's just outsourced but kind of something that's also embedded in the school yeah and look speaking of new practices and old hat belief systems uh, with my work throughout high schools um, having friends that are teachers as well i did come across last year a situation regarding this uh teaching of consent in a high school at a co-ed high school, and the result was that they actually divided the kids up into boy and girl groups and separated them. And obviously the kids are all friends and talk afterwards. And they discovered that the girls were taught very thoroughly how to use condoms uh, with, you know, the banana, all that kind of scenario, all of that kind of jazz. And the boys actually were not taught about condoms, let alone uh, taught how to use them and put them on. So it was only given to the girls to learn. 
It seems like extremely counterproductive, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a bit more yeah, loaded up on the girls and the women to always be all about contraception and being safe and clearly yeah. um, leaving it all to them rather than getting the boys across their own anatomy. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the same with everything, right? Like women are only fertile yeah. for 48 hours at the month and we have to take the contraceptive pill the whole time. But yeah, men get multiple women pregnant a day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, um, I was quite shocked. I, I was like, yeah. really? Yeah, no, Is this 2020? I'm not going to lie. Even I'm a bit shocked by that. I've yeah. definitely heard endless stories of the kind of like splitting up the sexes and then, <sighs> you know, maybe giving consent education to the girls and mm. um, yeah. skipping over that stuff for the boys or whatever. But to only teach girls how to put condoms on seems just yeah. quite wildly um, counterproductive. I'm not sure if there's a way to put it simply, but uh, in an ideal world for year nines and tens, which I think for us here on Triple MCQ, our main target demo might have children that age. How would you like to see it um, be implemented at schools? Well, I think in schools you kind of need to – I mean, the Australian curriculum is there as what I see a very, like, basic minimum. Mm. It just mm. means that at least we're having these conversations. But ideally when we're having conversations around consent, we're also talking about, you know, power imbalances and how mm. that can be played out with gender and with age. I think that – it is important to have a gendered lens to this curriculum in a sense to understand, you know, what sort of things maybe affect girls more than boys, such as slut shaming and understanding why that's affecting girls more than boys. But I don't think that girls and boys should be getting different content. I think there yeah. definitely needs to be like everyone definitely needs to hear everything about everyone. But yeah. I think it's important to acknowledge how different genders and different sexualities also experience um, like different pressures or taboos or stigmas or whatever it is. Um, I think a massive thing that's missing, and I tried really hard to get into the curriculum earlier, and it's mentioned so briefly in year 10, so it's really, really, really not enough. But porn literacy, you know, teaching young people about that the things they're saying in pornography is not how sex is supposed to be the first time that you have it, and it's not a safe space to learn how to have sex from. Um, I also think topics such as online safety and image-based abuse need way more content covering from a younger age and a much more holistic perspective it's quite like a jarring thing to think about um because it's already so jarring to think about young teens having you know sex and having sexualities but they do and in this day and age with the online world and the real world are just basically one for people who grew up um in in this era it means that we need to also have conversations about how they can safely engage in their sexualities online. I'd like to get you to maybe explain the rape culture pyramid in a moment. And um, I'll give a personal example of something that literally happened last night. Someone like forwarded an Instagram story to a group chat full of a couple boys. And it was a, the, a story that a girl had posted in her bikini. What most of us would probably absentmindedly refer to as the thirst trap, just for context. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> I like just, you know, didn't respond to it, but didn't call it out. And I don't know, that's, that's obviously when you get explain it, the base of the pyramid is things like this. Like I, it, it's cooler to just not say anything and call and be the one guy in the chat who calls something out than it is to say, Hey, let's not objectify. Yeah. Was that the purpose of sharing it? I just want to clarify. Oh yeah. Of course. Like, of course. For anyone who's not in the boy group. Yeah. It was just like, check her out. It's like trying to think of examples and Mm. literally like they happen every night where you send a photo to someone and that now I look at it and go, Oh, I'm a good guy. I'm not going to 
perpetrate sexual assault, but not calling it out could enable someone else in that chat too, for instance. And mm. So just to take a step back and describe what a rape culture is, a rape culture refers to a sociological setting in which sexual assault and harassment are pervasive and normalised due to society's attitudes of and expectations of sexuality and gender. So that's a really long sentence, but basically the key idea here is this idea of normalisation, the fact that acts of sexual violence, sexual assault and sexual harassment can occur without people realising um, the extremity or gravity of them or mm. potentially realising you know, even the weight of their actions. So a good way to imagine it and how a rape culture is upheld is to imagine this pyramid. So think about a triangle, like the actual shape of a pyramid, and the bottom layer of that pyramid has acts such as locker room banter or um, misogynistic jokes or, you know, the kind of things that, I don't know, I was even watching How I Met Your Mother the other day and, like, the whole Barney Stinson character, like, everything he says is, like, just the epitome of, like, that bottom layer of rape culture. But Mm. he's also... I remember laughing at him heaps and him being really funny. Um, or, you know, sending a image of a girl to a boys group chat for the purpose of objectification or sexualization. Those sort of things that we see kind of like day in, day out, lay that bottom layer. Yeah. And the idea of this pyramid is that things at lower levels of the pyramids allowing going unnoticed or without being checked allow more insidious forms of mm. sexual violence to occur. So above that layer, we have things like sexual harassment or street harassment or catcalling. Um, and then above that, we have, you know, non-consensual sexual touching or groping or um, sending an unsolicited dick pic or forwarding on a naked image of someone and contributing to image-based abuse. And then above that, we have things like stealthing, which is the non-consensual removal of a condom during sex, which I know so many um, men do without realising that it's illegal or Mm. wrong Mm. and then at the very top of the pyramid the pointy end is rape and sexual assault and the idea is that those more extreme acts could not occur without us accepting the lower levels of the pyramid which we're all exposed to i don't know arguably daily yeah i put my hand up and say absolutely very familiar with all of it well, not all of it, mm. the entire yeah, pyramid, yeah. but yeah, yeah, definitely the the bottom level for sure. And I guess what it does um, briefly is, like you were saying, um, even sharing images for the purpose of objectifying a woman, it just continues this kind of narrative that women are just sexual objects and um, mm. they're not even getting to have a say in the situation or having consent even in that scenario, but here they are being objectified and that's all they have to offer. Presumably. Yep. Mm. To the dehumanisation of women, yeah. which again enables these acts to occur against them. Absolutely. You mentioned before about sort of, you know, being a teenager, going to a party. And like, I think if, if everyone thinks back, you can remember vividly being that age. Like if you're 16, you, you can't wait to get to that, you know, Friday night party where, you know, you might be able to sneak an underage drink or a smoke or something and everyone's going to be there and you get to wear clothes that aren't your school uniform um, and see all your friends and, and have a good time. But I, but I think, uh, and, I, and you mentioned this as well in your book about sort of social currency at that age being sexual conquests. And I, 
to be quite frank, distinctly remember at that age, having an age in mind that I thought would be, shame to say it, cool to lose my virginity at. And so mm. on reflection, I, and especially reading a book, I'm going, Jesus, like I'm 99% sure I didn't do anything that lacked consent or coerced anyone. I hope I didn't. And I'm, but at the same time, I'm also 99% sure I probably left a few people feeling pretty worthless and objectified because of that ulterior motive. And then as I started um, reading through your book, I read about fawning and I started to think, oh crap, maybe that 99% isn't so high. So do you mind explaining fawning to us? Yeah, so fawning is a survival response to a stressful situation. So a lot of people are really familiar with fight or flight as a kind of stress response when something happens you know, whether it's a car pulls out in front of you without you expecting it or someone beeps a horn really highly behind you or um, your adrenaline kind of like kicks into a situation and your body decides um, if it's going to fight the thing that is threatening it or run away from it. And then much more recently, we've had conversations about the freeze response, um, which is where you basically don't do anything, which is why we've implemented affirmative consent legislation around the country because Mm. the idea that, you know, they didn't say no isn't good enough mm. if you're in a stress situation where you're not actually able to talk because of that um, threat. And then more recently and way, way, way less understood, this idea of fawning has come into light. And fawning is a very um, female stress response because fighting or flighting are very male-dominated stress responses, especially mm. if we're talking about in a sexual situation the idea to, you know, if we're talking about a stereotypical heterosexual encounter, the man is likely to be bigger, stronger, faster than the woman in, you know, very broad general speaking terms. Therefore, trying to fight them off or run away from them are not actually smart or feasible responses. So fawning is being over nice in a situation in order to survive an ordeal. Mm. So it is a piece the oppressor in order to get out of the situation safely. It's laughing along, nodding along, going along with it until you feel safe. And there's obviously more extreme examples when you're actually in an instance of sexual assault or potential sexual assault. But more day-to-day that I think like everyone can relate to is if you ever walk down the street, you get catcalled or someone like says something to you that's really offensive or whatever, and you just keep walking and remain calm and like act like everything's fine. And then you get home and you're like, oh my God, like, why didn't I turn around and tell them to like, go get effed? And like, why didn't I tell them to like, shut up and blah, blah, blah. It's because it wasn't safe to do that. Mm. And you didn't know that that would be safe because it could further, um, further aggressive situation. So classic things of fawning are things like, he locked the door behind me. So I gave him head so that he wouldn't rape me. Well, yeah. Mm. yeah. And Terrible. sort of moment where you realize you're stuck or someone saying like, you know, I realized I was really drunk. My phone was out of battery and he had taken me away from the party, away from my friends. I didn't know where I was. So there's moments where you're suddenly like, oh, I'm no longer safe. Therefore, I'm just going to do this so that it doesn't get worse. Yeah. Play it nice. Mm. Exactly. Play mm. nice, which again, I think like most women do. I mean, arguably, I think women fawn almost every day, like in the workplace and yeah. just like throughout yeah. throughout our lives. Um, it's also anyone can fawn but it's more likely to fawn if you grew up in a household with um an abusive family member where you are kind of constantly in a state of trying to walk on eggshells or yeah absolutely it's like walking on eggshells yeah i think one of the other main things here is and obviously 
everyone should uh, go buy a book, Consent Laid Bare, for yeah. sales purposes. But Pinky, you you know, you're nodding along affirmatively <laughs> to a lot of these things that mm. when I read them for the first time, I was like, Jesus, really? And so I think yeah. if you're a guy listening, it is so important. And even you know, the first time I read Fawning, I thought, oh, I don't, you know, and I'm sure I've heard a lot of guys say, well, she was being nice in the moment, but and I know this is going to be a really trivial example, but the thing that kind of made it or made that specific thing click for me was every guy in primary school used to daydream about if a gunman broke in, I would save everyone by befriending the gunman, yeah, my own, and then a survival tactic, a survival tactic, yeah, um, exactly, yeah. You were across the Love Bites program by Napcan. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, um, I've been doing yeah, it in I the schools with other like, volunteers. Into making that. It's bloody brilliant. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So we got, um, they got money oh, so a couple cool. of years ago to help um, get us made, trained up to be facilitators, not just um, helpers. So yeah, I'm really passionate about that program because yeah. I'm like, if that was around the nineties, that would have just been changing a lot of things for a lot of people. Cause it's just in, yeah, really important stuff. Yeah. Mm. There's so much more than like here, condoms and pills, like Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's yeah. amazing. Oh my God. So cool. Thanks for doing that, Pinky. It's really yeah, cool. Yeah, no, it's good. So yeah, totally on board. <laughs> now we could speak, I, we could keep speaking to you all day, Chanel, but we'll let you go. So if anything <laughs> uh, here has interested you, Chanel's book is called Consent Laid Bear. She's also been a guest on a load of podcasts. So just search her name on the listener app or wherever you get your podcasts. And depending when you hear this, you'll also be a guest on the Australia's Biggest Book Club over Zoom on Feb 29. Yes. So I think it's a, um, a webinar. You can register for free on nice. the, if you just Google the Australia Institute Chanel Contos. Fantastic. Well, yes, I'm really sorry we have to cut the conversation because <laughs> I could chat with you about all of these subjects all day. Fantastic stuff and, and really um, refreshing that you were able to get this change uh, put into the Department of Education nationally and, and all of the wonderful work you're doing. Thanks so much. It was great to speak with you both. I don't want to hang up on you. You hang up. No, I hang up. No, you. I don't want to hang up. (laughs) (laughs) You hang up. You hang up. It's a fresh start and it feels good. Anthony and Pinky for breakfast. It's Triple M Breakfast.